Welcome to another episode of Inside the Banjoverse with me and Scal. If you're new, you're very welcome. If you're not, welcome back. I'd like to give a big shout out to all the patrons of the podcast. And if you would like to support me, please head over to patreon.com forward slash and banjo. While you're there, you may even feel inspired to play the banjo. And if so, you are definitely in the right place. Have a look around. There's a lot on offer. My guest on this podcast is none other than the virtuoso concertina player Mohsen Amini, best known for his work with Talisk and Emar. If you've seen Mohsen live, you know that he is an absolute force of nature. And if you know him, you know that he's also a terrifically nice guy. I loved talking with Mohsen. I know him for quite a while. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Mohsen Amini. All right, let's dive in. And so we're just going to freewheel it. I, I mean... It's just a conversation. I'm curious. I, I know you for a long time, but we've, yeah. we've been on the road. Um, give us a little bit of background about how a Scottish guy with an Iranian father is playing what we'll essentially call Irish concertina, for want of a better description. Yeah. Because concertinas are not falling off the shelves in Scotland, as far as I know. No, I just found a little bit of a gap in the market, <laughs> and I thought I'm going to exploit this. No, I I started I started uh, back uh, when I was about twelve years old. Uh, Irish dancing. Um, years old. <laughs> let's let's start there. Let's let's let's, let's, let's unwrap that box. <laughs> because I I have a I have an Irish dancing history as well. Oh really? Little little known that I I am the I was going to say proud uh, rather odd owner of a silver medal from the world dancing championships from when the I, world about a, I think i was 11 <laughs> in, in an eight hand so i now i'm absolutely fascinated so let's start with your irish dancing yeah. history i i am the proud owner of a silver medal in the local glasgow fish <laughs> <laughs> that is as far as it got i i loved it I, my my mum and her friends sent all their kids to Irish dancing, not through anything of being Irish or having Irish roots or anything, nothing to do with that. Um, but there was a local club had started and uh, they thought they would send us over so then they could go meet up and have coffee. So we went down and then one of the local cultist branches was playing. And as I like to do, I like to exercise the old ADHD every so often and uh, went down and just had a couple of goes on the instruments. And my friend, my really good friend now, Mary Campbell, she was running it at the time and she said I could come and learn music at Colas for one pound uh, one pound for an hour. During it, it was nothing because it was over. It was like uh, over in Scotland, Colas was started as a, as a, as a way to give, give music to people that couldn't afford like lessons. Um, so it was really good. Um, so I went over and started doing that. I uh, forgot about the dancing because I was absolutely useless at it. Though I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, and then started playing music. And I'm slightly glad because my career can now span more than hitting 35. <laughs> so, um, how were you useless at Irish dancing, Mosin? Uh, I tend to get distracted. Tend to get distracted every so often. I was actually, to be honest, wasn't that useless at it. I was actually, pre- I was actually quite good at it. Um, but I, but the music, music came in uh, about maybe like six months into doing into dancing, and I thought 
I don't, I don't, I don't fancy the dance as much as the music, and I also made a lot, of, a lot of friends quite quickly playing music. So I was like, I just chose between them. I was like, I'll just do, I'll just do music. Do you know what I mean? Um, and literally fell in love with it. I absolutely adored it. Um, so this is age twelve. Age, I think it's maybe ten, eleven. Is actually yeah. probably what it was. Um, and then the concertina came in about age twelve. Um, through genuinely through no one else wanting to take it. Um, they got they got a concertina into the branch and uh, everyone was trying it out. No, there was no teachers, no one knew what it was, what to do with it. And I was like, I'll have me a bit of that. And they just, I got a tune out of it when I picked it, well, I picked it up and I could get, I, could, I found a few notes and could play a tune out of it. And then Mary was like, just take it, just take it home. So I took it home and then me and her for the next like three years would take it week about having the concertina. And we'd try and find out where the notes were and different things on the concertina. Because we didn't, I mean, the internet wasn't a thing that had a lot of resources back then anyway, never mind resources for a concertina. So we I had to come back. I remember playing every tune in A major uh, with a G for like three years because I didn't know there was a G sharp in the concertina. <laughs> <laughs> Debatably still, I don't know there's a G in the G sharp in the concertina. But that's a different thing. Uh, but no, for years and years, years did that. Um, and then, uh, about four years into it, uh, a woman, Katrina McCardo, from the rival Coltis branch, came in and uh, just basically said to me, Mary, in a very, very nice way, she came, she came to teach us for a year and was like, these are all the things you're doing wrong, and these are the small few things you're doing right, and then kind of just <laughs> moulded us back onto the right path for a year and then let so, us get to own devices. So it, it I've never tried to play the concertina, even though my sister is an incredible player. It yeah. it seems to be like a mind-boggling mathematical equation. What were you doing wrong? And what were the tiny things that you were doing right? Then how the right algorithms <laughs> couldn't get it working. <laughs> but every so often you get it. Yeah, you're messing around with a, with a Rubik's Cube. What's your What's your top time? Uh, top time Rubik's Cube is 1 minute 40. Ah, well, I got a 12-year-old son here who can do it in 36 seconds. So there you go. Seriously, <laughs> that's unbelievable. And it's all, it's it's learning the algorithms, which fries my brain. It's like, I don't know how to do it. Yeah, no, it's unbelievable. It's like six algorithms, and then you can get to the end of it. But if you're really good at it, you can work out what algorithms you actually need. Because yeah, I've got, I do it in a, a little, uh, I just do a little, a little conveyor belt of like, do that one six times, do that one six times, do that one six times, do that one 12 times, then mess it up and then do it another six times and then make it work. Um, they're great though. I love them. I absolutely love them. Uh, there's not, there's actually not much to them. It's just, you need to know where to start and then you're fine. Yeah. Well, I got to, I, I did them on YouTube and I got to the last algorithm and yeah. I'm like, I'm watching it care, and, and, I, and I still managed to mess it up. And I'm like, he's I telling know. me what to do. And I'm it's getting it wrong. It's a pain in the You get to like, you end up getting to the, the, the part where you put, you start putting olive oil in the cube just to move a little bit faster <laughs> to see if, it, see if it changes your time. But you yeah. can't change what you know up there. <laughs> so re relate this back to Constantina for me. Um, well, it's like that. This relating this back to Constantina is like Constantina. There's nothing. There's no rhyme or reason to how it works. It just works. It just goes. Um, but no, I mean. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a a, a mental mental instrument, um, and it's just you have to figure. I, I think so, well, when, when Katrina came in to teach us, um, like the little bits that we got right and wrong, there's things for us that we didn't know how to do, um, like like bellow control, like it's a really big thing. Do you know what I mean I I never really looked into it for years and years and years, but 
if you if you have you you generally have a scale pulled out. You can play the whole any generally any scale pulled up pulled out, um, and also any scale pushed in. So then you can start learning how to play tunes on fully on the pull, fully on the push. So then when you find you've not got enough bellows, you've always got a way to bring it back in. Because you only want. I mean, like I stretch my bellows out for effect. Like not for a, not for like theatrical, well, kind of for theatrical effect as well. <laughs> so, I mean, but it just ha- just so happens that um, it, it is needed as well. Doing you know I mean? like big chord swells and things like that, you need that. But if you're playing like intricate pieces, if you're if you're way out, there's no there's there's no way. It's like getting a getting a, a plectrum and having it like fourteen centimeters long and try to play with it. Do you know what I mean there's no control there? So that would teach me how to keep the concertina nice, nice and tight, and then also teaching us where the actual notes were was a, a bit of a bonus. Do you know what I mean? Um, but um, really, really, I just um, when 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 playing the concertina, trying to figure things out and get good at them, I would just get little uh, little riffs and little patterns and just practice away at them, just to try and get the dexterity up. Do you know what I mean? And then you find that you don't. There's nothing that can really trip you up. Because you know all the little stupid niche little patterns that maybe will only come up once once the blue moon, but it's there, it's under the fingers. Um, because there wasn't many, you know, how, like going up, growing up, you listen to all like everyone listens to like the, the standard like constant players, which is like Michael O'Reilly, Noel Hill, then like Nal Valley, then you get Potty Grins, and then like all all the ones growing up, and then it's like you do Fox, Catch, there's loads and loads and loads of them. Uh, we grew up, but like. There wasn't a lot of music from them all um, that you could access. I remember I used to have a cassette of me Hall O'Reilly that I would play in my room, and then I got a phone, and then I, f- I recorded the cassette into a little audio file, so I had like a, a set list on my phone that I could listen to it, and I'd be in the school playground listening to The Nervous Man. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I think it's cool. I don't know what else think it's cool, but um, I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, then, so then going on from that, because there wasn't many resources, I would try and listen to, um, I'd listen to other instruments, and then try and emulate what they would do. Um, so like on a pipes, you'd have a crayon, uh, and you would change the way you would do a roll um, based on the crayon. Uh, the, 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 the three fingered triplet that I always do, that's what an accordion would do to do a triplet. It's a bit harder on a concertina because your buttons are little peas as opposed to having like logs of wood or logs of ivory. So um, it, it just made, made, uh, made things like uh, funner and made, you could expand out. I think not having a teacher meant could try different things and have like a avant-garde approach to actually learn an instrument um which what from for me was the making of how i played and play music because if i had a teacher the whole time i would be i would be the same as that teacher probably or heavily influenced um whereas i've been lucky to get like a little bit of some influence and go around different players and learn little things from them um so i thought that was a really good thing in learning the instrument um but it also meant like because i've learned because I would learn how to play based off of other instruments, uh, like you know, like fiddles, they do different roles that they can do. Like you can, like Tom Callister does it, like he hits his pinky off, and it's like drr, drr, or you get other ones that do like the sort of traditional role, and it's like duh, ba, 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 ba. Um, I don't know how that, how well that's going to come across in a podcast. What I just did there, Ex- excellently. Probably, probably yeah. the most clarity of anything I've said there is the ba, 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 because you know it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, so can I ask you just uh, so a kind of a, a, a question that has a couple of different prongs to it, uh, and one do you teach? But my 
so I've, I've taught banjo for a long, long time. Yeah. And my observance of the banjo is that it's a difficult instrument. It's a physically yeah. difficult instrument. And so for a period of time, the general standard will say, now this is a very broad strokes comment. The general standard of banjo playing was in that kind of medium range where there was a lot of people struggling with the physicality instrument and struggling with the rhythm of it and also. And so, but my, and again, this is just my observance is that concertina players all seem to be of a very high standard. And so I'm talking about like, say a a 15 year old banjo player, take 20 of them and take 20 15 year old concertina players. Concertina players musically, rhythmically, and technically are going to be way ahead of the banjo players. And I'm just, have you any thoughts on that? Is it because of the teachers that are around? Is it the instrument? Uh, I, I I don't know. Um, it's a really, really difficult one. There could be the easy suggestion, like what I was thinking nowadays, is Constantine players, Jen, they do tend to have like an incredible rhythm because you have a, a bellow that is a lung. Do you mean? So it's actually built into the Constantine. If you, you start thinking about the Constantine as... I mean, you can get right into this and be like, it's like a body and it breathes and it has a heart and it has a pulse. It does. Do you know what I mean? Keep, actually, no, I'm, I'm all ears. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, it really does. So if you start thinking about it like that, it is easy. No matter what you're doing, if you've got rhythm, you can pulse it and you can feel the pulse. Whereas the banjo, it's not got the same pulse fit. Like you are, if, if, if you slip up with hitting a note, you're, you're out of sync with yourself. If you slip up hitting a note on the concertina, your bellow's still going. Do you know what I mean? You're still pushing in that direction. So it might be there's something like that for the internal rhythm. Um, also, maybe, getting into the modern time, uh, banjo is seen as quite a cool instrument in Ireland for, like, young lads. Do you know what I mean? And they all try and play fast and cool tunes. Whereas in Ireland, Constantina is not, like, it's not a cool, like, Wild West instrument. That is, like, a sit-down, chillax, and play some groovy music. Um, and also, like, uh, you get, you have... Um, like play, like like Michal O'Reilly is like the king of like the king of swing. Do you know what I mean? But he's just got his groove. Like he'd be like as Constantine players go. Like for me, like I know like, like this uh, now Valley's like king of like the, the cool the triplet and all the rest of that. And then Michal O'Reilly, it's like the swing and the groove or the feel. It's it's beautiful. Remember that that was that was he was my guy growing up. I was like that's where I started loving Constantine. Um, and I think that maybe it's it's maybe. It's, Slightly to do with the, the who who is uh, influencing mm. the players as well. Um, Where does uh, Simon Thumir come into all of that for you? He was he was like a total wild card. Uh, he was he was great because he I, the, I mean, do, you, do you remember that thing Filezilla? Do you ever get Filezilla? Do you no. remember like, the great the great raid of Filezilla? It was like back in like uh, like two thousand like ten or something <laughs> like that. And somebody so I can't I'm not going to say names, um, but. Somebody had a Filezilla, which is like a big massive Dropbox, and had every single album and trad on this. And then somebody who was, remains nameless that plays the pipes gave me <laughs> gave give give one of my friends uh, a copy of this, the password, and then that got passed around, and I got a copy of the password. And every single person who tried to end up with a copy of this password, which like was just like the biggest. It's basically like Spotify before Spotify. Um, so everyone had all like just randomly was like. 
every single album in the whole of Trad. It was unbelievable. And then I just, I just felt like I just downloads and got every single thing. So then at that point, I got like. I, f- I figured out who like Simon Toomer was, who uh, like Fluke were, who Lunasa were, Fluke, like all all these incredible bands when all the music had already been released as well. Um, so Simon Toomer came into the mix at that point, and I was like, "Holy hell, this is amazing!" Um, and he has one album called A Big Day In, and it is absolutely incredible. He also does this. Um, I'm quite in- into like in a studio. I'm like, we'll go in, we'll do a couple of takes. And then we'll make sure those takes perfect and then we'll move on. Whereas like Simon will go in and he'll be like, let's get it all done today. I want it to be exactly the music I'm playing. I want it to be like, it's, it's so like, it's great, but it's, it's, it's him playing. Do you know what I mean? Um, and uh, it was just amazing. It was absolutely incredible. They, I think, I'm pretty sure they recorded the whole thing in a day. And they did one tune called like The Drunken Sailor. I think, is it The Drunken Sailor? Saying The Drunken Sailor and playing the concertina sounds very, very, very like, so it sounds awful, but it's like <laughs> the most technical piece of music. It's un- unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing. But also, Simon, when I was uh, younger, um, we he was judging a fish, and uh, I was I did some of the concertina. I came first because it was just me, um, as it was pretty much every single time I entered the concertina, unless it was two people, in which case I would genuinely come second every single time. I've I don't think I've ever beat someone on the concertina, which is. It's mental. I was like, literally, these people played the Constantine as their second instrument and they were just like towering above me. I'm like, how can I not get anything in these competitions? Um, But it made me drive. It gave me drive. Anyway, Simon was teaching, uh, Simon was judging one of these competitions and he totally believes. And not he, you know that that um that little analogy of like think outside the box, and then the ants running around, and they draw a circle around it, and the ants stuck in the circle, and that to an effect. Well, it's a thing. Okay. <laughs> I, I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, I, you, you described it pretty well. I get the idea. <laughs> I tend to be very good with my descriptions, very clear, very yes. distinct. Um, but he, so he's like, he just like wants you to think outside the box. So in cultists, obviously, in the competitions, they want you to, they don't want you to, they need you to, they need you to play a certain way. It's all regimented and it's it's got its it's got its positives and it's got its many many flaws. Um, but that's what it was. Whereas uh, Simon's like, just expand, just think, don't don't stay, don't stay regimented in this thing. Just think think outside the box, do your thing. And then uh, actually it was like come round to the house and he just invited me around to his house a couple of times, he just gave me like, just for, just for free, just gave us some lessons, just for the crack and had all these like weird and wonderful ways of doing music. And the far, but the first thing from all these weird and wonderful ways, he was like, just start playing that tune, but just put no ornaments in it. And then you start being like, oh, you don't really, you're not, you're not really in control of what you're playing. Um, you only realize when he's trying to take everything out that you can't help it. It's like a nervous tick putting things in and then when you do take it out you start getting more control so I uh, helped me loads in like different ways do you know what I mean all these like frantic players that you think are just like oh no play like this play like this but actually like just bring it down and be as controlled as you possibly can and then mm. add stuff do you know what I mean bake a cake with some flour instead that's of um that's that, that's fascinating to me and it, it puts a lot in context because as when we were kids and doing the competitions and of course I struggled massively in the FLA because I was in Egypt and I I I, I couldn't be held back. It, it sort of rubbed me up the wrong way that I had to play in a certain way. So instead of that, I would start to self-sabotage by playing crazy stuff and and not yeah. winning, not winning a fraction of what I could have won. But I was delighted with myself as well at the same time. Oh, totally, but, yeah. 
over the years would have looked at the Mike McGoldricks and the Simon Tamirs and, and so many other musicians that were playing Irish music. They weren't from the island of Ireland and they came with a freedom. That's true. Because they weren't limited by the strictures that were placed on the overall tradition in Ireland um, by, by cultists uh, who do fantastic work. Yeah, it's a funny one. It's actually, I remember when, it's when you found out like Mike McGoldrick, John Joe Kelly, Desi Donnelly, Ed Boyd, all English. <laughs> it's like they're all they're all from there. And then even I suppose even there's a lot of love from the north. They still have cults of the rest, but the, the north are kinda are like uh, they're like Scotland. Do you know what I mean? Um so it is amazing that it's really interesting to look into that and see that maybe cultists is I I've always thought cultists is good until a point. I think they're really good for teaching because the standard of musicianship in Ireland under eighteen is unparalleled anywhere. Do you know I mean if you come to Scotland? I mean people are great under eighteen over here, but the the difference is yeah, I even felt it when I was younger, I was like, I can't there's no way I can match anyone over here. Do you know what I mean? I will try, but there's no way I can even be in a par. Um but then when people go over eighteen, they they they, they keep I see Ireland stay there and then the other ones keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. So it's I think I've always said Cotus is amazing until you're eighteen and then after that you've made your friends, you've won your flies, go make some music. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Are all concertinas the same? Could you pick up a concertina anywhere in the world and know where the notes are? You can for the for the first thirty, maybe. That's loads of notes. Ah, uh, well, that's me. Thank you. Not the notes you want. <laughs> that's, that's more notes than on the banjo for kind of. I know. Yeah. <laughs> the first thirty. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. A lot of notes. A lot of pushing and pulling. Uh, but well, there was like there's obviously famously Jeffries and Wheatstone layouts on concertina and the ba- the biggest thing in it is, is just there's a there's like opposing c sharps do you know what i mean so one of them has a c sharp that pulls one of them has a c sharp that pushes that's 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 basically it for the first 30 buttons um after that you get a lot of people so i i've got a 38 button concertina generally concertinas go from you can get 20 buttons but there's no point don't get a 20 button if you're going to get a 20 button just don't <laughs> just get get a button accordion if you want two rows <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need to do. But um, you get, you, I mean, there's the 30 buttons um, are kind of a, a standard. Um, jet, it goes up to 38. And they have, there's also, there's two, there is two layouts. I think there's maybe a few layouts. But for myself, with the 38 key, I found that, I found there's, I thought there was improvements to be made. I thought there was a few improvements to be made. So then I just, I got in touch with Sutner and just made, I made my own layout for the other eight buttons. Uh, which just made it just made made the concertina fully chromatic bar like four notes up four octaves, which for an instrument that size is absolutely incredible. Um, and it just it opened a, a few new options. So if I was going to do a talus gig, and my concertina broke and use someone else's concertina, it would be quite difficult to do to to play it to the standard. I could, I could, and you could get away with it, but it's quite difficult. And then the feel of them are all so different. There's so it's like I mean it's like with every instrument it feels different. The whoop like a flute you have to blow harder, blah 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 blah. blah. The action's too high in a banjo, but um, I find it. Re- I find generally concertinas are quite stiff. Um, if you've got an old concertina, um, which a lot of people do have, like your Jeffries and your Wheatstones, um, and they're quite hard to play. Which might also be a, a a thing a deciding factor in the way people do play because it is harder to play these older Jeffries. And that is a sought-after instrument in Ireland, and everyone gets a Jeffries. Mm. Um, it can be also lightning quick. I've got Jeffries that is faster than anything you've ever seen in your life. Um, but 
Voss played them, and I'm like, I couldn't get, I couldn't get half the speed out of it. Um, so to answer your question, yes and no. Are you at the technical level that you want to be at? You're never at the technical level you want to be at, and you never will be. <laughs> You're never ever close to it. I remember one time being like, I don't know what I can do now to become better. And then I just, I, I sat down and I genuinely sat down for ages. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Because I, I, didn't, I didn't know what direction to go. I didn't know at all. And then I just like, something clicked one day and I was like, oh my God. And then I found out that I was just at like 3% up the ladder. Um, oh, it's, I mean, like it's a, it's, a, it's a constant struggle, but I love it. It's great. Uh, your your biog, which I read, says you were studying chemical engineering and decided to be a full-time musician. Just talk us through that transition, because that's pretty fascinating for a lot of people. Yeah, well, I actually started in, in school. Uh, I was uh, I was going to do medicine. I was always going to do medicine. And then in sixth year, I did a first aid course, saw some blood, fainted. <laughs> and that was that. So I, I, I had like, I'd got, I had the, uh, I think the UCAT you have to go to, I had um, I'd been studying for the UCAT test, and um, then my friend, I had everything ready to go, I had all ready to apply to all my, all the five unis, and then my friend at the end of it, when she said, found out I couldn't do it, she was like, why don't you just do like chemical engineering? And I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. And But I, I love maths, I'm really, I'm, I'm quite good at maths, um, and I really enjoy math, um, and I'm good at chemistry. I did all three sciences at school, um, so I was like, I could fit into that. No bother at all. Went to Strathclyde Uni to do chemical engineering. Was there for like two and a half years. Um, on the second year, you have to do six lab reports and all 3,000 words each. And this comes back to the FLA, ruining my life again. So it was on the night before night before the FLA and everyone was asleep. <laughs> and we were in the house. I gen- this is genuinely, was a- my mate was around and I was finishing the lab report and I was just like, cool, Phil's not finished that. And he was like, can we just go down to my house, fall asleep and we'll go to the fire in the morning. And I was like, we can do that. I was like, but I need to finish it. I was like, I need to finish this. And you submit them all at the same time. So I finished it 18,000 words later, finished it. And then he was like, right, let's go. And I was like, woo, let's go to the FLA. Closed my laptop, thrown it up in the air. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Woo, we're going to the FLA. And then went round to his house. To and Why I went round to his house to submit it instead of submitting it when I finished it, I do not know. Went round, opened my laptop, and there was just this folder that was broken in half. And it was like, your hard drive has crashed. <laughs> And it was that was it. Eighteen thousand. I took it to that. Nothing. There's no. There's no safe in it. Um. So then I failed the lab, and I was like, I've done all the work. I've done the labs. You have to log so many hours to do it. <laughs> so uh, and then and then I went back, and then so I had to. I obviously that was just like a kind of like sidetracky bit of it. I had to just reset that one in the third year, and then going through it, I was like, I don't. I don't really enjoy this. Um. And then got out offered halfway through the year to do a dance show. Um, which will remain nameless as well, um, because I got paid like £36 a, week, a night or something like that. <laughs> uh, but I was playing guitar on it, so I think like something like €200 Euros a week you were getting for this dance show, doing six shows or seven shows a day, um, and getting your breakfast provided, that was it. Um, so when I bought, bought a guitar for like something like one and a half grand, bought all the pedals for like £300, then got all my stuff, so like £2,000 later, had this ready to go, and then the tour made less than what the guitar cost. <laughs> so I ended up coming back from this tour with like 300 quid, but it was my out, it was my way to be like, I'm wanting to do music. Um, so I did that, slowly, slowly left music, left uni uh, without telling my parents. 
Um, <laughs> I'm just I'm still tickled with the tagline. Uh, experienced musical slavery inspired me to be, become a full-time musician. <laughs> <laughs> it is that. That's exactly what it is. That could be the title of the podcast. <laughs> but we, um, what was it? Uh, so did that. Um, slowly left uni. Um, when I came back, I was like, I'm going to need to. I, didn't, I was sitting at home, so I, didn't, I don't. I, I didn't need to. I didn't really need money to be fair, because um, I didn't have rent. But um, you need to be doing something. So my friend who helped run the Coatless branch, ran a roofing company. Um, and uh, he said, I can work for him any day I want. Um, so I ended up becoming a roofer um, for like three years. Um, was doing roofing and instead instead of like having like a full-time job, that I would work for, I worked full-time. Like it was like, we'd be going out at like six in the morning and get back at six at night, um, roofing away. And I did genuinely love it, but he was like, you can do this. And then whenever you have a rehearsal, a gig, whatever, you can get all the time off you want. You won't get holiday pay, but you can get all the time off. And I was like, that's, ah, it's just it's just like gigging. Do you know what I mean? You get paid for the gigs you do, you don't get paid for the gigs you don't do. So did that for like three years. Um, and mum slowly found out that I wasn't doing, wasn't at uni from the fact that I was coming back <laughs> with roofing gear on every single day. <laughs> um, I could have, I could have, I could have kept, kept that secret. I could have kept that secret until today. Um, but she's a regular listener to the podcast. She's going to find out now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mum, surprise. I know. Not <laughs> in college. All these years later. <laughs> I know. We've been failing for 14 years. <laughs> um, but, so I was doing roofing and then that was going really well. Um, and then, I was uh, I would equate a gig. So on the roofs, we were getting. I've done a lot of things for not a lot, not very much money. Um, so we were getting like forty five pound a day in the roofs. So when I got like a session in Glasgow, I'd be like, oh well, if I get a session, I can have the day off. Hilariously worked in. I was like, if I go for a night out, I can get the day off, which is kind of the perfect thing that everyone's always wanted in their life. So I mean, you go out. <laughs> Don't need work. Great. So we go out and then I slowly like build up having sessions and like you'll be getting like seven days a week of music, music money. And then slowly be able to that's the dog. The dog wants to be involved. She's pretty, pretty yappy. Uh yes, cute. dogs are. She's cute. But to us, I'm gonna tell you shush. To us. <laughs> she heard. So um, I was slowly building up with that, and then it got to it got to a point where so he the guy that was the it's Phil Docket Phil Docket he's a really good friend of mine, and he was uh, he uh, was co-owner of the roofing company, and then we'd tell everybody because his son I played music with his son as well. I'd be telling everybody about how I play music, blah blah blah, and then we do some gigs, whatever, so everyone would know that I was the person playing music in the building site. And then every time the gaffers would be like, "You need to get out of here." You, it's like, <laughs> it's like you, need to, you need to get out of here. You need to go spread your back. You need to go. You need to leave. You need to leave. It's like you're wasted here. You're wasted here. <laughs> and then, I mean, honestly, it's hilarious. Me and my friend were on the roofs. We're like, "Oh, we're, we're destined. We're destined for different things. We need to leave the roofs, and we need to go. We need to go and fly our wings." Um, and hilariously, now my mate is now producing a Netflix, and then I'm touring the world playing music. So it actually, does work out. <laughs> wow. So thank God for all those old guys living vicariously through the two young roofers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but actually, all had head after when uh, I entered the Young Musician of the Year. After that, that was my last week roofing, and then after that, I never roofed again. Um, I just played music the whole time. So it's been it's 
been through quite a lot of things and I've really enjoyed them. It's been really, really, really fun. Um, I also taught you, like, um, also doing the roofing, um, you're working so hard and probably probably a lot of people like getting into music that haven't done any other jobs maybe don't, uh, haven't haven't realised, like, the worth of, like, getting £200 for a Kaylee or something like that. To me, it's like, £200 is almost a week's wage working 12 hours a day on the roofs. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. you do start appreciating money a lot more, um, which I think is pretty important, to be completely honest. Um, so yeah. you can lose that. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I, I did a, yeah. I had a day job for 16 years prior to yeah. we, we Banjo 3 taking off. So I know what it's like to put in a 40-hour grind. And... Yeah, I know. I, like, like actually working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it's not and, working, is it? There's well, no working I, involved. <laughs> I, I, I did it and did two gigs a day and taught banjo lessons at the same time as well. So, was, oh god, yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. That's, a, that's a heavy, heavy schedule. That to be that's honest. a it's a one way route to the psychiatric unit. That's what that is. <laughs> I know, but then all your friends are there. <laughs> <laughs> all, the other, all the other banjo players. <laughs> I know. And the guy is trying to figure out where G sharp is on the concertina. I, I hear you. I, I couldn't find the psych. I can't find G sharp. I can't find the psychiatric unit. <laughs> <laughs> oh god nah but it's good it's good and now we're now we're absolutely flying having a great time yeah Talisk is flying it's, it's honestly it's went um, it's honestly we've, we've been doing we've been doing we've been going for ages now um, like it's been like seven years now we've completely changed our lineup since it started um, which I'm trying not to look into too personally um, it's hard to avoid the facts though isn't it <laughs> 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 nah, I mean, I guess as has changed. Like, it's like Craig, we started at me, Haley and Craig started it. We're best, like, best of friends, still really good friends. And, like, I talk, I talk to Haley every day. I, after, like, I, I can't get, can't get rid of her, can't get rid of her. Um, but, um, it's because we, when we started it, we didn't have a, like, as probably more, well, not, not most people, because some people can get into, get, get agents straight away and then they can figure out maybe what they have to do. But if you don't have, like, any, any like the management or agents or anything, it's really hard to to figure out what's doing. You just kind of just try to throw in throwing muck at the wall and hoping it sticks. Um, but we had a really good time doing it. <clears throat> we we're lucky enough to win a few awards. We won a folk award like three months into the band forming, um, which sprung us into sprung us into gigging. We got like after that, you got the Cambridge Folk Festival, Cropper Day Festival, and Towersley Festival, which are all like five to ten thousand cap festivals. And for a band that only had two sets, um, it's, it was great and quite daunting as well. And then maybe, because I remember we did Towersley, and uh, something that we got after, after like the travel down in a car, um, we got something like a pound a gig, is what we actually made. <laughs> and maybe that was representative of what we were worth, because we only had two sets anyway. <laughs> so we were just busking along. Um, but no, it was, it was, I mean, like... I do believe that the money should probably go up from these festivals of bands coming in, to be honest. Um, but um, the opportunity to do it was very good for us, and we we managed to make we made a good relationship with Cambridge, and we always go back to we go back to Cambridge quite a lot. And like I mean, like three years ago, we closed our main stage on a Saturday night, which is like it's an amazing, amazing experience, amazing gig to get. So we done quite a lot of fun things through that, but we learned as we went along quite fast. And then even when we came on tour with you, I was like, um, I was like, I've never seen merch sold so well in my entire life. <laughs> it's all Virgo, like like a week ago. And he just saw the merch set up and he was like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always looking. <laughs> I'm always looking. 
<laughs> where, where? I mean, that's a good. That was kind of leads into my next question: is like, where do you sit with the whole art versus business? I think. I mean, they go hand in hand, don't they? Um, if you if you lose the art bit, then it's going to be hard to do the business. Is kind of how I see it. Um, but you can. I mean, it depends on what you. I suppose it depends what you want to get in music, doesn't it? Um, everyone wants to. I mean, everyone wants their art to um, to thrive. So then you push as much as you can into into that, and then naturally, the money then would go up. So the business thrives. So like, I mean, they're they're both like you can't you can't really have you can't have one without actually, but. If you're if you're into your music, you can't have one with the with, with the other. Um, I would pick art over business. If someone said you can only get you can get nothing, but you can live a stable life, but you and you can play whatever you want, I'd be like yeah. Or you can be a millionaire, but you can't play that. Um, I'd be like I I'll take the I'll take the art over it because that's how I got into it. Otherwise, I'd just be a chemical engineer. Do you know what I mean things mm-hmm. like that? Um, but I think I do think uh, like I've learned, I've I've learned a lot from like like your yourselves and different bands that we've toured with as like you have to be really savvy with business or you're not going to be able to push your art to the right places anyway. Do you know what I mean? So I think you really have if you don't have somebody driving at the helm um, with a good business mind or even an agent or a manager that can push that side, then it's going to be quite difficult to make your make your music make, just make it happen. I mean, take it to different places. You'll end up just doing the same thing over and over and over again and probably getting bored. Do you know what I mean? So um, it works. It, it works in two ways. Um, but I see them working hand in hand and uh, it's, there can be a beautiful relationship between them both. Do you enjoy both aspects of it? I do. I enjoy both of them. A lot of people a lot of people really don't. I've talked to like me and me and David Foley, uh, like years ago wanted to not that we are absolute like geniuses at um, how to start bands, but I mean pretty good at starting bands. I started about a hundred bands when I was trying to make Talis. <laughs> um and uh and we were like, let's just start a business uh, where we can just like tell bands that not to make, not even not literally not to make money, just to be like just almost like consultants, free consultants that you would come and say, I want to make a band, what should I do? It'd be like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And that is all the step, the basic steps to, to making a band. And then we found we did talk to some people and, and do it. And, uh, but like people, like people generally don't, don't realize that, that, that they do work hand in hand. You have to put this bit of effort in. I have a lot of people, like I, I'm an open book. So I'll tell you, I don't, there's only one thing I won't tell anybody anything about it. it's like it's the guy that does our graphics because i love him <laughs> I, I love him he's mine <laughs> i want him i need him i need him <laughs> i'm like i'm like and we did to prepare we, we, we I, I want him every single week giving him something new to do but i'm like that, that sort of thing i was like i don't want someone to steal the style um but anything like a, a, anything pedals uh, how we make things like sponsoring videos all the rest of it i will tell anyone anything at all i remember some people were just like why do you not just buy buy why are you buy giving away all the secrets i'm like because it doesn't matter if you give them all away. They still have to do it. Do you know what I mean? You can tell me how to play the banjo. I'm not going to be able to play like you. Do you know what I mean? Unless I put in like 20 years of work. Do you know what I mean? And it's that bit that people don't get when they're making a band or making music. Um, and if they did, like, they, they, they would be, there's so much more, they soon would be absolutely humongous. There used to be a glass ceiling, a really, really strong glass ceiling in the trad industry because people didn't do shows, people did gigs. Do you know what I mean? But now people are t- ch- changing it, making it slightly th- like it's theatrical. Do you know what I mean? A gig's theatrical. Do you know what I mean? And now, like with Talis, we've got we've got like a light show and all the rest. like it's massive light show. It's like you've been at a techno rave. Do you know what I mean? So like if we were we were playing in like a like a like lower Tillsbury Art Centre, like insert random name art club. 
be a really different gig. So now we have to like base it around what we're doing. Um, so I mean, the glass ceiling of the the genre has been completely pushed. And if people, if people, more people got into the business side of it, it'd be unbelievable. It'd be massive. Trad music would be um, humongous. Do you know what I mean? Imagine Riverdance didn't have a business mind. Irish music would be a thing. Do you have a? You know, speaking of business, do you have like a five-year plan? Do you have places that you want to get to? Are there steps on the ladder that you're aiming at? We we didn't for age, we didn't for ages because actually it's when we got uh, started with our new sound engineer Steve Richmond. So Stevie he runs a business called Cosa and he does the Chili Pipers and all the rest of it as well. And uh, he was like he was like if you find yourself doing all the work, um, then you, you, there's nobody there. If you find yourself doing, you're like said to the merch and doing the emails and do blah 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 it's like there's nobody thinking about the bigger picture stuff uh at the other side of it to push you to the next level and i was like i never thought about like someone actually having to i mean like learning as i go along never thought of it as being someone has to sit down and say oh we want to do this we want to push this to this next place and get there and um, so it's only in the last last year and a half we've always had like like small, not small aspirations, with massive aspirations, but uh, like small steps. So like our like doing the tour with views, but like we can do our own tour and then push it that way. And then that was a two that was a two year plan. Do you know what I mean we've always had like little two year plans, and it's only now we're starting to get into like having like a five year plan. So now we do have like markers, and it's and maybe to be fair, I'll be being honest, it's like a four year plan is what we've got at the moment of where we want to push things and different because you have to. Like we've got we've got ideas for like collab tours and things like that and like big things to push us. And in the UK, we like maybe like three years ago we were doing like two hundred caps and selling out some of them and not selling out other ones. Now we're at going up to six hundred caps and selling out like maybe like sixty percent of a lot of them. Like so some of them maybe two hundred to six hundred caps and selling out sixty percent of them. And then we we're, we're like, how do you get that to the thousands? And that's where the four-year plan has came into place, and like you can team up and make things happen. Um, so now we've now we have that in place, which is like, um, which I mean, if we knew that at the start, probably have, have accelerated us a bit faster. Do you know what I mean? Just looks like the like uh, you know in lockdown, people are doing like videos and then doing collab videos, and it's like, oh, there's actually different ways to achieve like your follower count or blah blah blah, whatever you want to get. Um, so so yeah, it's kind of it's it's on the right track now. Um, and we figured out different like different ways to different ways to accelerate music. Even as simple as working with a promoter. Do you know what I mean? Don't put a gig on yourself. Put a gig on with somebody that's put a gig on. Yeah, they know. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Yeah, it's so it's so simple, but it just it just takes it just takes somebody being like we also have to get to a, a stage where someone would want to work with you as well. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, it just takes someone just being like, well, why don't you do this? And you're like, oh, that's a good good idea. Um, so Talisk, we've got a good, we've got a good uh, sort of uh, things, good, good plan of things happening, and then we've got our ten year anniversary coming up as well. So potentially, well, I'm not going to say what we're going to do, but we've got big, like uh, big plans for a big, a big event, um, which will hopefully involve a lot, a lot of people. Um, so and and, and Haley, my favourite. Uh, yeah, like, I was chatting to the other day about it. It's obviously going to be like we'll get everybody that's been involved as well involved. Um, Haley the other day was like, <laughs> I was chatting to her, and she said we're playing up in Aberdeen, so she's teaching up in Aberdeen now. And she said to me, she's like, my, she's like, uh, she's like, he's coming to Aberdeen. I was like, yeah. She's like, can I get? And because uh, I always put in, like Haley obviously has like a, a, a unlimited access. She's got the black Nandles card for Talisk. Um, <laughs> 
And uh, she was saying, uh, she said, can I, can I get like a plus four for the guest list for Aberdeen? And I was like, only if you tell me you love me. And she's like, just you remember who started this band? <laughs> I was like, Damn, don't tell anybody that. I'll just tell everyone and end this podcast. <laughs> do you like touring? Love it. Absolutely love it. I do love it. Um, I go to go into it more and more because we've got Emar as well as Talisk. It's like the touring does kind of uh, they merge into each other, so you can be gone away for. I mean, you can be gone away for like like two or three months at a time. Um, so that uh, I remember talking to you like it's like uh, talking about being away from like you've got like a family. Do you know what I mean? So that's it'd be harder. It, that that'd be harder for you. Definitely. Then I've got like a relationship. I've got a girlfriend, um, and that's hard. But a family is harder than uh, than that. So I do. I do imagine. Well, we've, we're kind of in this at the same time because Graham's got a child and twins on the way now. He's going to have twins. He finally got twins on the way. Yeah, so he's going, to, he's going to need that four-year plan. He's going to need that four-year plan. You mean that four-year exit? Or a four, four, fourteen-year plan? Ah, you know, yeah. He's got an exit strategy. It's becoming a count or something like that. Um, but do you know any guitarists coming? No, Graham is not. We're not letting him leave. He's staying. He's staying. He's too, he's too bloody good. He's brilliant, man. Um, but, but I suppose with so I I don't I don't mind being away a lot. I do like being home and the rest of it. And after. Like, I would say, like, after, like, COVID and mum getting really ill, I do like being home a lot more um, because, like, do what I spent time. I, do, I, I took it for granted. Like, really took it for granted before. But now I don't take it for granted. Like, see, like seeing my family and seeing things like that. Because you don't have that. You won't have that forever. Do you know what I mean? So, um, you really, like, I, I don't think until you've had something really bad happen that you realise how much you, you must, you, you need it and you should be there. Um and don't live with your like. Don't live with regrets. I'm getting wee teary. I always get teary when I think about that. <laughs> I always do. Oh yeah, but, it makes certain um, sense. Yeah, but that so like that 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 would hold. It doesn't hold me back from touring, but that would always be on my mind. I don't want to be away for too long. But it's quite it's quite easy with Talisk because Graham has a child as well. So he's like, I I'm, he's like, I don't unless it's like unless it's financially worth it to be away for that extra week on tour. Then why are we away for that extra week? Why don't we just split it up and do it in the next the next tour? You don't need to be away for more than three weeks. I mean, you can be away three weeks, come back for a couple of days, go back away for three weeks. There's nothing. You you sort your own schedule. You know I mean, we can only not sort out festivals, but festivals are on the weekends. Um, so I I love it, um, and uh, it can get quite 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 a bit much after a while. Um, but I think we've made we've made it out we've made it happen in a way that it doesn't ever get too tiring. I always enjoy it, and also when Talos go off tour, I get to go on tour with Emar, and the crack is. Honestly, incredible. It's amazing. Do you know what I mean? And it's really different crack to Talisk. Do you mean the Talisk crack is unbelievable? I love it. I love I love both sides. And you get a complete it's just like seeing and you know you hang with the same person all the time. You're like, cool, I know all your jokes. I don't know his jokes, I'm gonna listen to them. Um so it keeps it fresh, it keeps it fun. Um I think if I didn't have two though, I would find it quite difficult always going away because it would come the same thing all, all the time. It'd always be really fun, but I like I just love that a different dynamic in your life. Do you mean you can have it from like you, know, like you go home and you go fishing? Do you know what I mean? And you're like, your fishing is like, I, I don't know, but I imagine it's your other outlet where you're like, oh, this is a really good diff- a change of dynamic. Whereas f- fishing's my Emar. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Things like, things like that I really enjoy. Um, it makes touring much more fun and much more sustainable um, on the long term of like a big, a, a mass tour of being away for three months. Um, so, yeah, so to answer your question, I absolutely love it and will not be stopping anytime soon. <laughs> nice. what, do you do to, what do you do to unwind? Like, do you have 
a fishing that's not emar because a lot of folks that i'd say what do you do when you're not on tour they go oh yeah. i just play music at home i know yeah unfortunately i just end up like my my people that i go out with when i get home are like benny and ryan murphy so like whenever we get back from a tour we all meet up and it's just like being on tour back again um so i don't know i go to the gym quite a lot um and uh but i do i do really just i do just play music to be honest i don't really i don't to be honest when i come back home i don't really play that much music i just go and see my friends i just i mostly my, my outlet is like a social life um as much as music is like the most social thing you see in those people i just love seeing my friends when i get back because you're we're only back i remember one year i was only back like home like i sat in my own bed like six times or something like that do you know what i mean so i think whenever i come back i'm like i want to i want to be be present with all my friends and keep that going um so that going for coffees i don't really drink coffee i don't care much about coffee which is really really different to the wee banjo three approach <laughs> i slowly get into it i slowly get into it <laughs> I think we we got we ended up being less able for the caffeinated state as the years went on, but <laughs> really, yeah, uh, <laughs> just decaf. Uh, so you're like I've spent a lot of time around you over the years, and like you're yeah. super high energy and very very positive. But do you struggle with anything? Uh, I thought this loads. Um, let me try and get my thoughts in order so I can say it in a in a way that makes sense um i i see whenever i'm around people like so i remember one time we're with my mate i'd like with my mate he was a bit drunk right but he was fine he was totally fine but he was a bit drunk and then we're we're going down to liverpool and he kept going like that he's like that's one beautiful looking handbrake you've got there mawson it'd be a shame if someone pulled it and that was like look i was like do not pull a handbrake when someone's driving a car on the motorway. I was like, that doesn't, and I just met that is one of my really good mates there, right? But I've just met him. And uh, I was like, do not, you dare, don't touch this handbrake. And then we're going down, he was like, it's 90% a show. He's like, it's just, it's like, I'm, I'm, it's like, I'm not, I'm that bad. I was like, it's just 90% a show, 10%, I might actually pull that handbrake. <laughs> but no, but it's like, but with, with me, with the whole thing, it's like, I'm going out whenever I see people, I do generally get and it's not like it's a show, I just I get really excited and I'm like, this is amazing. I love I love being around people, I love making people happy. Like I've just I don't have it on. It's like I, I love that show, that film, The Greatest Showman, it's my favourite film. But it says there's a quote in it and I have it on like a dog tag that I wear everywhere I go. And it just says the greatest the no, the noblest of art is that of making others happy. And I think that's a real I, I love that. I, I I'm so into that. Um so I love being like energetic really really positive really happy and really, i am genuinely happy to see everybody and really enjoy all the rest of it but when i go home i'm just like i just go like this and i'm really quiet and there's nothing like i remember we was doing a tour and it was with our mate sean gray and then he was chatting to, i could chatting to one of my mates and he was like he's not he's not he's not the the muscle that you see out is it it's like he's always just like kind of chilled out and i generally i'm just really chilled out in the van i'll sit down doing like doing like work away and just be like calm so like it's not like a. I don't really. I wouldn't really struggle with it being positive. The 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 attitude outside. Uh, I just have like a like a balance of it. So it's not all like hyper hyper hyper. It's like it's only at those points. It's like all up. And then there are times I have my downtime. Um, you can struggle with it a lot. The thing, the thing I struggle with a lot, um, is like um, like people. Could people people know you? They judge you straight away. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They judge, judge everything. So then they all think, they all think, oh, he's crazy. He's absolutely mental. I'm like, well, and then some people take it in like a really positive way and then some people take it in a negative way. And you're like, you don't even know. You've never even met me. I was like, 
you can't make an opinion based on like we're not celebrities. You can't like you, may, you can't make polls about people and think they think yeah think you know what what they're doing or what who they are whatever blah blah. So I say I say like sometimes when you meet people like uh, I met another person. I'll say I'm good friends with this person. I'm good. I get meet a lot of people that I get become really good friends with um, because we're all really good really good people and really good fun. Um, and then they were like, I thought you were going to be a bit of a. I'm not going to say it because I want to censor it. But like, I thought you were going to be a bit of a beep. And then, well, you're actually a really nice guy. And I was like, I know! <laughs> I know I am! I just promote myself because I'm a musician. That's, can people see, people see self-promotion as like, you're ignorant, you're like, you're up yourself, you're cocky, blah, blah. But it's like, you don't get pissed off at milk for advertising that it's milk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You just, <laughs> that's what I am. I'm just milk. <laughs> So, uh, that's that's the only the only thing the only thing I would struggle with is that that sort of thing. But I don't really I being completely honest, I don't really care because when I when I know you and you know me, then it's it's great. But before that, I don't know anyone. I don't until you reach out, you are you I've never I've never known you, so we don't exist to each other. But when we do meet. We will. It'll be great. It'll be great fun. So that's the only thing that I say is a wee niggly point that in in the music career, music in general, is a thing. Um, but it's, it's 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 never something that's actually around you. Um, and when it is around you, it's all good. I just find sometimes you have to make a little bit extra effort with people because there's a predetermined idea in their head. Um, other than that, I'm all fun and games, having a really good time. <laughs> Genuinely, I have the best life in the world. I absolutely love it. I have a healthy family and get to play the music I love around the world. And it's now starting to really kick off, which is like, it's really fun. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, that's a fantastic answer and a, and a wonderful way to finish. I think. And yeah. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take away that quote: the, the noble art of making others happy. That's awesome. It's it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's really yeah. good. And if I can say I think you do a fantastic job at that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I'm trying my best. <laughs> <laughs>